0: Good morning. How are we all this morning? All you uh, beautiful Asia Fontainers and uh, Milk Bossies. My name is Lucas, um, uh, as Martin and and Mike have said. And um, it's quite clear what the Lord has been, uh, how he's been leading this morning. Um, And so I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on me Um, and why I'm a good example of what the Lord wants to say uh, to us this morning. Um, uh, I'm married to a a beautiful wife, Annie, and I've got five uh, wonderful kids. Um, My eldest is 16 and my youngest is six. uh, Three uh, girls and two boys. And uh, so I'm I'm a dad and um, I've got the beautiful uh, privilege of of leading a congregation in Sunningdale 11 a.m. Uh, I, I've got my groupies here with me <laughs> at the back. Uh, my crew. Um, so <clears throat> I grew up in Zim, in Zimbabwe. Uh, hi, sorry, I, I, f- I forgot your name, Corbus. Nice to see you, Corbus. Uh, I had lunch at Corbus's restaurant the last time I came. I can highly recommend it. Uh, it was it was wonderful. Um, um, I asked the waiter, "What should we have?" You know, and he said a couple of things, and we ordered that. And my, my boy insisted on having. Was it the lamb? Or, or, oh my goodness, that thing! We all wanted it afterwards. Anyway, that's not a plug. <laughs> that's not a plug. But but uh, y- yeah, yeah, free advertising, Corbus, Yeah, but yeah, it's really good. Um, <coughs> uh, um, so so where was I? I Corbus distracted me five kids. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Okay, I grew up in Zim, and um, you know, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He, he, I'm Greek, okay, and so we, he started with, with a corner cafe, as they do, um, uh, and then and then he bought the bottle store next door, and he bought the bakery next door, and then knocked everything down and built a supermarket, you know, um, and then he, he, he sold the business, but kept the building, you know, which I've realized is a, is a good business technique you know and then he, he started another supermarket down the road and made it even better and then he sold that and kept the building and yeah you know, and then he started an ivory carving factory and a bakery and a, and, and I'm an only child and so uh, when I grew up um you know the expectation was was that my boy is going to run the business and you know me and my wife that's my dad and my mom are going to retire you know when the, when when the young boy grows up and, and runs everything and that was my expectation, too, until um, uh, probably about seven years old when my dad brought home a Benny Hinn video. I don't know if any of you know Benny Hinn. He's the one with the lovely hairstyle <laughs> and the smart suits. I knew nothing at that stage. I, 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 I put the video in. Why? Because it was the only video we had uh, in the whole house. You know, and we had a, a, a video player for the first time, you know. And so I put it in and my parents came home and I was on the lounge carpet watching this thing, weeping. And they were like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but when I grow up, I want to be like him. Not really like him. <laughs> but I was sensing the Holy Spirit for the first time and, and the presence of God, even as a little boy. In that place and I remember growing up uh, um uh, you know one of my biggest worries uh, and I seemed to think in the bath I don't know if you guys think in the shower or you know but we didn't have a shower we only had a bath and and, and I used to think in the bath and I used to get very worried in the bath because I I, I was wondering I know and my parents taught me you know if, if you want to please God you have to do what's right and I knew in my heart I didn't always do what was right I remember as a little boy, um, uh, one of my friends uh, uh, taught me where you can buy cigarettes, you know, and, and, and I went and got these, these things, they were called Everest, um, they were like this menthol, minty thing, you know, and I remember going behind the hedge in my house where our staffy made a hole in the hedge, I would climb through and sit behind the hedge, leaning against the fence with the cigarettes, because I thought, okay, I'm going to be cool now, until I actually lit one, and I never tried that ever again I couldn't stop coughing for about you know half an hour I couldn't understand why people would like that stuff but I knew that I had done stuff wrong I remember also and I don't know why I'm going in in this direction but maybe you know some of you have done similar but I remember my dad used to keep crates of ginger ale Schweppes ginger ale in the in the garage and uh you know I remember going in there and, and and opening one once and tasting it Anyway, after about four crates of ginger ale over the next three or four months, and all you would do is just put the caps back on afterwards and you couldn't see, you know? And I remember the one day, you know, Shane, the poor guy that worked for us was dragged in front of my dad and he was like, you know, what, what happened to my ginger ale? he's he says, I, honestly, I have no idea, you know? And my dad was like, no, you must have taken them. And I'm standing there, I'm like, And I didn't put up my hand. And so he, he, took, he took the blame for me. I'm not proud of that. But those were the kind of things I would think about when I was in the bath. Because I knew I'm, I'm not good. And so I didn't know how to get close to God. Until I went on a, a Christian camp when I was 14 years old. And that was the first time when I heard the good news about jesus that god loves us so much that he sent his only son to pay the price for our sins and i'm telling you that guy preached the gospel he he told about how jesus died on the cross and and how god put the sins of the world on him instead of on me and but before he was finished i was like yes it's me yes i need it i need it he was like can you just wait please i haven't finished I knew I needed Jesus, I needed a savior. And I gave my life to him when I was 14 years old. And and I saw him as the most beautiful thing, the most wonderful person, the kindest God that he would save me even when I wasn't good. And that was that was great and and, and I went to school and I finished school and and I uh, went to university I came to Cape Town um, because I wanted to go to a church, not really the university. I had gotten into a university in America, uh, but all my friends came to UCT. And at that stage, there was a church called His People. I don't know if any of you ever heard of it. And they had a Bible school. And these friends of mine would come home from their first year university, and I was still at school, and, and these guys would be on fire. They were talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm like, whoa, I never heard any of that stuff in the Greek Orthodox Church. Like, this, who is this Holy Spirit person that they all have and I don't have? And so I said to my parents, please, can I go to Cape Town? They said, no, but you have to go to America in September. I said, okay, I will, but let me go to Cape Town first. And so I went to UCT planning to just stay for a few months, and I, and I went to church, and I joined Bible school, and, and I learned about Jesus. And I managed to persuade my dad that I could stay. And... Uh, I don't remember much of university, but I remember I did first year Bible school, second year Bible school, third year Bible school. They did, had something called the Institute. I just I was drinking in the Word of God, and trying to understand God better. Because the church I grew up in, you know, it was all about you know nice smells and sounds and dresses. You know, all the altar boys. You know, we would all wear dresses. It was a bit embarrassing. But it smelled nice, you know, that stuff. Incense. I remember with a priest, we used to um, have Holy Communion. And it was real wine, you know. And then in the church, the guys would believe, you know, this turns into the blood of Jesus. You know, that's what they believed. It it doesn't really. Um, um, And so the the priest would say to us, listen, only pour a little bit. Because everyone would have a sip, you know. This was before COVID, you know. From the same uh, cup. And then, but the priest had to finish it because, you know, you couldn't waste any of it because it was now holy, you know. So he said, only, only pour up to that mark, you know, because he knew how many people were in the congregation then he knew how much to pour, you know. And we would overpour. <laughs> so on Sunday afternoon at the Greek club, you know, you would see the priest. Because <laughs> he had to finish that whole thing. Yes, we were naughty. No idea why I'm sharing all of that. <laughs> but then, then I got hurt for the first time in church. I, um, the pastor asked me to go with him to a businessman's conference, and he was going to preach, and you know and I went with him, and uh, one of the nights, I, I, I walked in on him doing something uh, immoral with someone else in his room. And I was 24, I think. And I, this man, I mean, I had looked up to him. I mean, he was my hero, you know. I used to watch him preach, and I thought, oh, I want my life to be like that man. And uh, you I got hurt, eh? And, I, and, I, and I, I didn't know what to do, so I went and lay in my room, and I, I phoned one of the other pastors. I said, I don't know what to do. They said, just come home, and we'll, we'll deal with it. And when we got home, I was called into that lead pastor's office. And he said to me, why are you lying about me? I said, well, I'm not, you know. Anyway, he told me I was from the devil and trying to destroy him. And, and I, um, I resigned from the church on that spot. Oh, by the way, I'd finished university and I, was, I went full time to serve God. And I walked out of there and I'm like, I've had it with the church. This isn't This isn't real. It was very, very hard. And I, I thought, I'm going to go into business, you know. And I, I joined a businessman who was in the church. And, and he said to me, would you go to the Isle of Man and open an office for us? And so I said, yes, I will. So in 2002, I went. I had just gotten married. And uh, I didn't go to church for about a year. I, um, I focused on business, on work. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do something good for God, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make money. And then I'm gonna help people because the church doesn't work. And when I was there, I I met a guy called Jonathan Stanfield. He was a Baptist pastor at a little Baptist church called Port St. Mary Baptist Church, which later became Living Hope. And uh, and he said, Come, and he and, and I saw ah he's he's genuine, you know, I hope. But you know, I was careful and he didn't let me down. And it's interesting because um, I was in business in the Isle of Man and the, the office that I started grew from just me to a, a secretary. And then eventually by 2007, there was about 57 staff and we, we were doing all sorts of stuff in property. And um, yeah, I thought to myself, this is good. And then the guy I was working with started stealing money from his clients. And I was like, what? He was a Christian. I mean, a Christian. And you uh, know, it was hard for me. I, I, I thought, okay, so you can't trust the church. Now you can't trust people in business. Yeah, I said, okay, at least I, I, I'm going to do something. I, at least I know I can trust myself. Boy, was that a mistake. The first thing I did after I resigned, I was approached by a guy, he was a big businessman, and he was, he was running this big listed company on the Isle of Man, and he said to me, listen, I've got this piece of land in the Caribbean that you know I, I, I need to buy, I've won this court case, I didn't expect it so quickly, can you raise the money for me? I said, okay, I can, because I knew lots of wealthy people, and so I, I raised the money, and we got all the best lawyers involved and everything, and you know what this guy did? He took the money, And he bought the land into a company with the same name as the company we had set up to to buy it. Everything was ring-fenced, but it was an Antiguan company. He took the money, took the land, and defrauded us completely. And I ended up owing the equivalent of about 450 million Rand to those investors. That was my first deal on my own. And, and I was quite disappointed because I thought I could trust myself. But then I realized I can't even trust myself. So, the next six years was really difficult. Really, really difficult trying to dig myself out of that hole. <coughs> and, and some of the days was really black. You know, you, you, I don't know if you've ever experienced serious stress. And, uh, you know, I had people throwing bricks through our window, telling me they needed to pay the money back. And, you know, it was hard, eh? It was hard. And I remember getting on my knees before God and saying, God, I I need you. I need you. I've stuffed it up. You know, even my wife told me, no, don't do the deal. And I did it. And she was amazing. That's why I said to you, I'm, I'm married to the most wonderful woman. She never once said, "I told you so." And God, in His kindness, you know, came came through and He helped me. I ended up meeting three prime ministers in Antigua, and um, yeah, meeting a whole lot of people in the UK government, and yeah, all sorts of stuff through that business career. And the Lord blessed the business. Eventually, it grew from nothing to over one point two billion euros market cap. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, ah, oh, here's, the, here's the blessing of God. Here's the grace of God. And I remember in 2017, the Lord said to me, um, that's enough business for you. And I was like, what? No, 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 hold on. It's, it's just going well now, God, yeah? He said, no, you know, Andrew in Cape Town, I, I want you to go serve Andrew. Go and help him. And so that, that persuaded me. The Lord knew what I needed to hear. You know, I thought I'm going to go help Andrew and uh, so I resigned and we came with the family it's a long story um, and we moved here beginning of 2018 with all the kids and I thought I'm going to help Andrew and, 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 uh, and so when I got here I said okay Andrew what do you want me to do and he said um, I don't know I said hold on I just you know I mean, I had seven offices, over 100 staff, you know, and, and, and he said, I know what you can do. You can be my PA. I was like, thanks. <laughs> and I remember I, I, I literally just followed Andrew around, you know, I attended all his meetings with him, and, and I said nothing for about two years. And in that time, I mean, I had been close to the guy who led his people. I had been, you know, and all these churches. I'd been with Jonathan, I'd, you know. And I thought I knew about church and I knew about family. And I knew about the Lord and I, and I knew how to build. And I remember after being here for a month, I gave Andrew this kind of eight-page uh, strategic plan about how to better Josh Jen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Andrew's like, okay, thanks. And I never heard about that again. And you, you know why? Because the church is not like a business. The church is not an organization. It's not something that wants a strategic plan. Or a, you know, the church is a family. It's a family. And, 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 and Jesus is alive. And, and he is the leader of the church. It's not men that are leaders of the church. All we do is we just hear the Holy Spirit and we try and follow him. So I've learned a lot. I'm, I'm still right at the beginning of my, of my learning about the Lord and about his church that he loves so much. And, um, and then Mike asked me to come and, and preach today. And I, so I said to the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want me to, to tell your people? <laughs> and uh, so I went to sleep and four in the morning I woke up. I, I woke up because I'm a certain age, you know, and I need to um, wake up every so often at night. <laughs> but as I, as I got up to go, to go to the bathroom, I heard this song in my head. And it, it, the song goes like this. My beloved is the most beautiful Among thousands and thousands Is my beloved is the most beautiful Among thousands and thousands I thought myself Yo, that's nice. What what is that? You know? And so I, I I typed it into Google. And I and I saw it's a song, but it's it's from a book in the Bible, which is called The Songs of Solomon or or The Song of Songs. And, and it's in chapter five somewhere. And it's it's this maiden talking about her lover, a man, the king. This strong, handsome, warrior man a- and I'll read you a little bit of it in just a second and, and, and she was thinking about him and she was saying my beloved is, is in some places it says he's very handsome but he's also ruddy and in some translations it, it, it describes it as rugged and strong as well as handsome So he's kind of like me. I mean, mean like Josè. Sorry. Can can I read you some of it quickly? So from chapter five, verse eight. The the maiden says to her friends, the woman. She says. Make this promise, O woman of Jerusalem, if you find my lover, tell him I'm weak with love. Why is your lover better than all the others, O woman of rare beauty, they ask? What makes your lover so special that we must promise this? And then she says, my lover is dark and dazzling. No, man, you need a dark hair, say. Come on, man. It's dark and dazzling. Better than 10,000 others. His head is the finest gold. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, no. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. I know everyone's feeling uncomfortable. It's okay. (laughs) His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with beryl. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli, whatever that is. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover, my friend. And so she's obviously describing this man that she's completely in love with. She's completely passionate about this man and I'm going to read it to you in the message translation because it's, it's, it's also helpful okay she says my dear lover glows with health red-blooded radiant he's one in a million there's no one quite like him my golden one pure and untarnished with raven black curls tumbling across his shoulders his eyes are like doves soft and bright but deep set brimming with meaning like wells of water. His face is rugged. His beard smells like sage. So does mine. After pizza. His voice, his words, warm and reassuring. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a Right? Are you getting the picture? And I'm like, why is this in the Bible? And why am I hearing this song at four in the morning? The Song of Solomons is is like a picture. The Bible says that Jesus came like a bridegroom to find his bride. And Jesus is like the lover in the story. And the bride, I know it's difficult for us men to, but we the church are the bride. And the Bible says that there's a day coming when the bride is going to return for his, no, the groom is going to return for his bride. Jesus is going to return for us. And in this um, Song of Solomon because I you know I've, I've read it kind of before but a long time ago so I thought this morning I went back to chapter 1 and I read the whole thing you know and it was so beautiful it's this it's this love story between this man and this maiden and and they desire one another and they and they long for one another and and they think about one another constantly it's like you know, he's thinking about her, and he he starts to describe, you know, what every part of her is like, from, you know, her nose is stately, and, and he goes all the way down, and then she thinks about him, and you can see, you know, from his torso to his arms, and his thighs, and his everything, and it's like, whoa, it's very close, like, I mean, it's very graphic, And so, what is the Lord saying to us through that song? There's a warning in that um, Song of Solomon. And it comes through again and again. It says, don't stir up love until the time is right. And you know, so for young people, that's a, that's a good principle. you know. Don't stir up romantic love or erotic love until the time is right because you're stirring up a fire and then you're going to get burnt. Wait. Wait until it's right. Wait until it's the right man for you or the right woman for you. And that's a good principle. But I, I didn't feel like that was the principle that the Lord wanted to teach us this morning. I think most of us are married here, if I can, you know, or... Some, Not the front row. (laughs) And then the Lord put another scripture on my heart, and this is going to be my last scripture, and then I'll explain what I feel he was saying. Hebrews chapter 10. From verse 23, it says this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Another translation says to stir up one another. To acts of love. Another translation says to love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There is a stirring up of love that we need to do. As the bride of Christ, we need to be thinking about him and stirring up our love for him constantly. And it's something that we need to be doing for ourselves. And it's something we need to be doing for each other. You see, my fire at home, when I light it, if I've got fire starters, I just put one little blitz, you know, the white stuff. And then the fire starters and they light. And then I can put a big log of wood on and it will light eventually. And when it goes, it it goes for a while. But the problem is, even the biggest log, if you neglect it for enough time, it starts to become glowing embers, and then it goes out eventually. And it's the same with our love for God. We live in a world that is trying to stop the wind, to keep the air still so that our flame burns dimmer, and then gets distracted and gets overwhelmed by, and it feels like the Holy Spirit is saying, particularly this morning, by work, by other priorities, by other focuses. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to remind us that we have a responsibility to fan that flame alive. To keep the fire of our love for Jesus alight. Have any of you like me been in a place where once it was burning. And now maybe it's just a, an ember. And the Holy Spirit wants to come this morning and go. And he wants us to to. Fan into flame. To stir up love. And the, re- and, 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 and the way, the method, the method that he wants us to do that, something very practical, is to do what the maiden did in the Song of Solomon, which is to think about him. That's how we stir up love. You know, if I if I want to stir up love, I recently went away uh, to Willamore for three and a half days. That's near Otsorin. Just me and two other guys. And and when I was there, I, my wife wasn't there, you know. The first day I enjoyed, I was in the field and I was chatting. And we, were, you know. The second day I started to miss my wife. And the, the biggest mistake you can do as a man away from your wife for an extended period of time, and I'm talking about three days, I mean it's a very extended, you know, <laughs> is to think about her. Because then it's like you can't wait to be home. You hear you know what I'm saying? And so the the best thing to do is don't think about it. (laughs) Focus on the focus on the nice T-bone steak or you know something else, right? Don't go and think about your wife and you know. But the Lord wants us to think about him. So let me read you my I did say it was the last scripture but it is the same scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Did I give that one to you? I don't think I did. Oh thanks Josh. Thanks. Verse 32 to 37. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Think. Do you remember the the man in psalm chapter 1 it says uh, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night this is the same think meditate about uh, on him think about him do you know what it means to meditate it means to chew the cud you know how many stomachs a cow has any farmers four Thank you, Clay. And how does it work? The cow goes and, and, and it sees some luscious grass and it bites it, it and it chews it and then what does it do? It swallows it. And where does that grass go? Digestion, Digestion yeah. No, but where? Which stomach? Is it tummy one? I mean, I don't want to preach false theology to you. You know what I mean? bovine theology it, it swallows it but then what happens is a bit later it thinks ah that grass it does and it regurgitates it and starts chewing it again I'm telling you that's what a cow does and it chews it again mm, I remember mm, it was in that field there by the stream mmm That was so tasty. Mm, It had like it had a thing of thistle in it, you know. Mm, That's and it swallows it again. And a bit later, it's like ah, that grass, and it regurgitates it, and it starts chewing it again, and eventually, it gets digested. And it's the same thing in our thinking about Jesus. Do you know the times when I am the closest to the Lord? It's when I've been preparing in his word all week. But when I'm not preaching on a Sunday, I'm tempted to, uh, you know, and then I'm not that close. The fire is dimmer. And so this... this um, Verse says, it says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Now that's interesting. These people remained faithful to Christ through terrible suffering. I'm going to give you an example in just a second. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when you all and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Now if we think about that, okay, let's say, you know, the police arrive here. They take Mike and Stacy because, you know, they're causing mayhem here in Asia Fontaine. You know, and they put them in. Uh, is there a police station? No. <laughs> they take him to Darling, Darling. And they put him in the prison there. And they say, this guy's been causing, you know, and they, and they, you, and they say, if anyone comes to visit him, we're going to confiscate your house. How many visits is he going to get? from Aza Fontaine. (laughs) And then it says, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. See, they remembered something. They had something fixed in their minds that allowed them to go to Mike and visit him, and sometimes be put in prison with him. To, to, to have their property confiscated, because they were called Christians. And it says, and they did it with great joy. These were crazy people. They were crazy fools. Because they saw something coming. And that's called faith. Because they had their eyes fixed on something or someone, and it says, why? Why do we need to endure patiently? Why do we need to go through this the pain and the and I said maybe I'm I'm starting to become a little bit qualified with this. Because recently I told you about my business career and how well I had done. Do you know what I've realized? nothing in business is what it seems. You can't tell whether a decision was right if it turned out well. Often you make entirely the wrong decision business-wise and just by luck or chance it turns out well. Or by grace. I think for me it was just by grace. Because I don't have the skill to know how to do it well. But the Lord was kind to me. But you know what happened in my heart? The goodness of God, the blessing of God, the success that God gave me started to become something that I leaned on. Is there a chair? Can I use this one? It was like this. Lord, I really want to succeed in business because I want to be able to tithe and help Jonathan and and I want to be able to provide food for my kids and i I want to be able to please lord would you would you give me a chair you know i don't have a chair if i only had a chair lord if if i could just make this amount you know that, that that chair would do i'll do so much good with the chair you know and it took years it took like six seven years before suddenly i had a chair and it was wonderful. I was like, "Lord, thank you for the chair. You're so kind to me. You're so gracious to me. You're, you've helped me. I, I, can, my, I can educate my kids now, and I can, you know. Lord, thank you for giving me this chair. I'm so grateful for it, Lord. Thank you for this chair. And then, you know, I, I, and Lord, anytime you want the chair, it's yours. You know, yeah. And then the chair got quite a uh, big chair. Bank account. And then uh, I used the chair when I came here to buy a very nice house and renovate it in Atlantic Beach. And uh, because we homeschool, you know, five kids and, and a church office and we have everyone in. And it's a wonderful, it's a tool for the kingdom, Lord. This chair that you've given me that I don't lean on, I lean on you, Lord. I really do lean on you, Lord. So will you go? Um, and Lord, I, I like to surf. So Mark Boss is perfect, you know. I mean, for my my house and my chair and my, you know. And then I started to become a little bit attached to my chair. I mean, I, you know I love Jesus and I, you know I, I can worship with my hands in the air, you know. And I don't think it's strange that I walk around with my chair. Until the Lord said, uh, Lucas, yeah, and by the way, I want you to sell your house. <coughs> Which house? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized the chair had become part of me. I've got this nice house and everybody knows cuz I'm a successful businessman and you know and my security has become part because that's where my I mean I can live if my kids want to move back in with us I mean the, the house you know and and now and now I become this person that is does it seem strange wasn't just leaning on it, everything was on it. And then he says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up that mountain and put a knife in him. Yo. And I had to have surgery to have the house physically removed from my body. But it's being sold now. And uh, how we can become attached to things because it gives us a status or to our business or to our pursuits or our attachments and you know the Lord is a lover and he's jealous and he doesn't want a chair between him and you when he embraces you he doesn't want four legs in his side a silly illustration, but I think this is what the Lord is saying, so can you remember when I was everything to you, can you remember when you first heard about me, when you heard that that you were lost in your sins, that you had no hope in this world, and yet I chose you, and I died for you, and I gave my life for you. And that you were bought with my precious blood, which is more valuable than gold. And that you are now no longer your own, but you're mine. And maybe we don't think enough about eternity, about what it's going to be like when we're welcomed into the, the embrace of the bridegroom. You know, I was thinking about me and my house i was thinking you i was planning to spend the next amount of years that i have in that house and enjoying the theater room and the view of the sea and you know how the sun comes through the the yeah you know, i thought i'm going to enjoy that and the lord was like okay you're now 47 if i'm kind to you you know you might get to 80 you know given my health issues that i've had you know maybe maybe so what is that 30 years left? Something like that? Okay, so you're going to enjoy the house for 30 years. Do you know, the first 30 billion years in heaven are not even the beginning of the introduction. I'm like, Lord, take the chair. Because, why did the people do that? Because they were looking forward to something that was coming. You look in Hebrews 11, it says, These people didn't receive the promises yet, but they were looking forward to a city whose foundation is not here. It's what the Lord is bringing them. It's very interesting that the Spirit would come in a gentle way and talk about love talk about passionate love and yet remind us remember your lover remember remember eternity let me end with this Yo, I'm just feeling this so strongly I think it's from the Lord Asafontaine is somewhere where people come to retire. I feel like the Lord's saying, please don't waste the time. Please don't waste the time buying beautiful chairs, making it everything perfect. And then at the end, the Lord says, you fool. Give him everything. Give him everything. Remember him. Remember eternity. Long for him with all your heart. And then on that day, you'll be like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding Lord Jesus thank you thank you for your love you are our beloved and you are more beautiful than thousands upon thousands no one has loved us like you do we look forward to Eternity with you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that your words would go deep into their hearts. I pray that you would, um, even as the word you brought through Dylan, Lord, that their hands would be opened. They would no longer hold on to their attachments. But instead, Lord God, that they would be, that they would find life. fullness of joy in pouring themselves out for you. In Jesus' name.